So we're starting a new series, and we're calling it 24 Hours. You know, most scholars, when, when you would ask most scholars, they would say, well, Jesus probably lived to be probably around early 30s. 33-ish is the going number of how old he was when he was uh, crucified. Uh, the gospel writers devote most of their accounts. It's very interesting. As you read through the gospels, they, 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 most of the gospel accounts are tied to the last three years of his life. Um, but the primary interest is really, especially when you go to the Gospel of John, the last 24 hours. The last 24 hours is, has incredible significance to it. And just think about that. Think about what happened in the last 24 hours uh, that Jesus, before he died, uh, this would begin Thursday evening. Think about what would have. So beginning Thursday evening after sunrise and lasting through Friday, those 24 hours, what happened? Well, Jesus ate the Last Supper with his disciples. He went to the garden and prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane with a few of his disciples. He was betrayed by Judas and others, his friends. All of his friends at one point left him. He was convicted of blasphemy by the religious authorities. He was tried and sentenced for insurrection by Pontius Pilate. He was tortured by Roman soldiers. And, and, and finally, he underwent the brutal Roman crucifixion, death, and burial. All that was in 24 hours. 24 hours. Probably 24 hours that changed the world as we know it changed eternity for most of us. And Jesus sent his disciples out, and he began to look for a place to observe the Passover. And that's really what we're going to focus on. We're going to focus on the table. Next week, we're going to focus on the garden. And we're going to look at those 24 hours, and we're going to say, what is the significance of those moments of the last 24 hours of Jesus? So this weekend, we'll focus on the table. So I'd love you to follow along with me. You can go to Mark chapter 14, and I'm going to start reading at verse 12. Mark 14, verse 12. And if you have a chair Bible, you can just go to page 775. We have these chair Bibles, and you can go to page 775 and follow along with me. But I'm going to start at verse 12 of Mark chapter 14. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go to prepare the Passover meal for you? So Jesus sent two of them into Jerusalem with these instructions. As you go into the city, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room? where I may eat the Passover meal with my disciples. He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. So the two disciples went into the city and found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. Now, before we jump into the table, this Passover meal that they're going to celebrate, I want to jump. A, I want to jump a few days earlier because it sets the context of the expectation of those having this meal with Jesus. There's a significance for the table. There's a significance for that, and we need to see that. So, what took place a few days earlier? 
Well, Jesus and his disciples had traveled approximately 70 miles from the north, this, uh, the region of Galilee, down to Jude- Judah uh, and to Jerusalem. So that would have been a 70-mile trip. And so he spent a good deal of his ministry time, as you know, as you read the Gospels, in Galilee, in, this, in the area of Galilee. He was out on the Sea of Galilee and teaching on the mountains <coughs> that, that faced the Sea of Galilee. So he spent a lot of time. Now he's come from Galilee, northern region, and he's come down through Samaria into Judah and to the city of Jerusalem. And it says this, on Sunday he rode in, and that's the Palm Sunday. We we remember it as kids, right? We went to church and we all got palms and we waved them around and hit our brothers with them and did all those things with the palms, right? And this is what the, the crowd said. He It was like a... It was like a line of people that he, on his uh, donkey, as he rode in, it says this. uh, Matthew, you don't have to go there, but it's Matthew 21, 9. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. In essence, what what the people were saying is this. Save us now, Jesus. Save us now. In other words... They saw this man coming, this Jesus, who had performed miracles over the years, who had uh, raised the dead, who had uh, done cast out demons. They saw him, and here he is riding into Jerusalem, you know, in preparation for the holy time, the Passover, and they see him as a deliverer. He goes into the temple one day, and he overturns the money changers' tables in the court of the Gentiles. And, you know, some people think, well, he didn't like the exchange of money. It wasn't about the money. It was about where. What they had done, the court of the Gentiles was the only place for a Gentile to approach God, the holy temple, in the holy temple. Uh, It was the only place. And so they were being pushed even out of that place because the money changers which should have been outside the temple, were in there pushing them out. So what does he do? It says, My house shall not be called a house of prayer. Uh, my house shall not be called a house of prayer for all the nations. Have you, but you have made it a den of robbers. In other words, he's saying, You've pushed the Gentiles out, and you've not allowed them to approach me. And so he was very angry about that. Now, this is all taking place before the, the table, right? We read through the gospel accounts and we see that Jesus returned to the temple regularly, probably each day. And he was uh, each day challenging the Pharisees and the religious leaders and the scribes daily. And he was saying things to them like this. This is Matthew chapter 23, verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside look beautiful. But on the inside, they are full of bones of the dead and all kinds of filth. I don't think they really like that very well, probably. And so he's having this this back and forth debate with the scribes and the Pharisees, and he calls them whitewashed tombs. So we come to the Passover meal. We have him coming in Jerusalem, hailed by the crowds. We have him casting out, throwing tables around, making a wreckage of the court of the Gentiles. We have him uh, saying hard things to the religious leaders of his day. And now they come and they sit around the table. So the question is, 
what were the expectations of the disciples as they sat down for the table for that meal? What was the expectation? Well, the Passover meal was meant to be a time of joy and time of celebration. The Passover meal was a retelling of the story of Exodus, the book of Exodus. Well, what was the story? The story of the book of Exodus is the nation of Israel were prisoners in Egypt. And God sent Moses down to Egypt and with a single message, let my people go. And so Moses went down. At first he was unwilling, but he finally went down and he, he brought the message to Pharaoh. And God was delivering his people from the bondage of Israel, or from the bondage of Egypt, and bringing them out into the promised land. That was the story. So the Passover meal spoke of the hope that God would one day send uh, the, the Messiah. So the, the ultimately, in that day, Moses was the deliverer, but the prophets and everyone in the Old Testament spoke of a coming one, uh, uh, an ultimate Moses who would come. And he wouldn't just lead his people. He would lead his people once and for all. He would be the king of kings. Now, the disciples, I believe, with, the, with what took place on Sunday when he rode in on a donkey, as they saw him speaking boldly to the religious leaders, as he saw them overturn tables, and as they had seen his, his track record of the miracles and all the things, the signs and wonders that he had performed, they believed he was truly that Messiah. And that they believed that he, they were in Jerusalem at this key moment, and Jesus was just about to reign, bring his kingdom. That's what they believed. Now, remember, the Passover symbolically remembered how God rescued his people uh, from the bondage of slavery. What did they do? Uh, well, they would, they would put blood on the doorpost, right? And they would, they would eat unleavened bread at the Passover, and they would, they would eat the bitter herbs. And you say, well, what is that all about? We'll talk about that in a minute because it has significance. But surely they believe that Jesus was the final Moses, the cheering crowds for a few days earlier, uh, being, you know, all that he had done. They believed that he was about to claim his role as king of kings. So he sits down and has the Passover meal. The Passover meal was a way of remembering and this was, by the way, in the Old Testament, it was remembered by the Jews. In fact, they were given instructions on how to do it. In Exodus chapter 3 through 13, you'll see the instructions that are given on how this meal was to take place and it was to be done annually. It was not to be missed. It was, it was a very solemn thing. So the Passover meal now is, was a way to remember God rescuing Israel by bringing them out of Egypt. And... Um, as I said, you can find the details if you go to Exodus chapter 3, uh, chapter 3 through 13. So let me just, for some of you, you may not know the Exodus story. Let me quickly give you a capsule, quick, you know, view of that. Nation of Israel, come to the book of Genesis, and Joseph is almost second in command, and, and, and his family is there, which become the 12 tribes of Israel. And they're guests there. But by the time we come to the book of Exodus, 400 years has gone by. And they are no longer guests, they are slaves. And they are in misery. And they cry out to God. And God hears their cry. And Moses, who's been out in the wilderness for 40 days, we don't have the time to go into the story about how he began in Egypt and then left Egypt, and now he's spent 40 years in the wilderness, he, uh, he comes upon a burning bush. And out of the burning bush, 
God speaks to him. The first thing he says is take off your shoes. The place you are is holy ground. And Moses basically hears God and God says, Moses, you're my man. You go down to Egypt and you tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses says, I'm the wrong guy. You've got to find someone else. I can't possibly be the guy. And God says, you're the guy. <laughs> and he sends you know, someone with Moses. Moses goes down and says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, who, who sent you? And he says, I am sent me. And that was the, the sign of God, ultimately. The, the phrase, I am, is very significant in Scripture. Well, obviously, the Pharaoh basically says, I'm not going to do it. And therein, you could read all about this, but there ends up being ten plagues that come on Egypt. And uh, the final plague is the death of the firstborn. And uh, basically what happens is the people of Israel, they're given instructions, and they were t- they're told, uh, you must do this. You must take a lamb, you must kill it, and you must take the blood, and you must paint it on the doorposts of your house. If you do not paint it on the doorpost of your house, your firstborn will die tonight. So they did. They killed a lamb. They took the blood. They put it on the doorpost. They ate the meat. They roasted the lamb, and they ate the meat. And they put the doorposts. They put the the blood over the doorposts. And that night, the death angel passed over Egypt. The next morning, they were wailing, wailing, because every every home that didn't have the blood over the doorpost, the firstborn died. So, that's how the homes were protected. Death came. And everyone, every household that wasn't under the blood, their firstborn died. So Egypt is awash in mourning. And so the next day, the Passover uh, was also the last meal that the Hebrews ate in Egypt uh, before they were delivered. Um, And so they celebrate this in memory of that deliverance that God brought them. But the next day, Pharaoh finally agreed to let God's people go. And he orders the the Hebrews to leave. And he tells them to leave immediately. And so the idea there is that they they had to leave so quickly that they couldn't even put bread in, yeast in the bread and allow it to rise. They had to take what, you know, bread with un, for the trip. They had to prepare bread and they took it and um, they left immediately. So that's the, the story of the unleavened bread. And that's why unleavened bread was used during the Passover meal that Jesus celebrated. So uh, they take the unleavened bread. Uh, so from that night on, the Hebrews would celebrate the Passover uh, every year. And they would remember the, this meal, this deliverance from Egypt. It became known as the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And that's the, the story where the Passover takes place. They were to sacrifice and roast a lamb. They were, to, uh, they were instructed to eat unleavened bread. And the unleavened bread speaks of what? Their quick exit out of Egypt. They didn't have time to put yeast in it. They had to get out immediately. And then also, a part of the uh, the feast of uh, the uh, the feast is uh, the bitter herbs. And the bitter herbs were meant to symbolically speak of their bitter time in Egypt. How it was a bitter time. So there was a tremendous amount of significance as they were uh, going through this this Feast of Unleavened Bread in the Passover. And the bitter herbs spoke of their time in slavery. Now, during the meal, the participants would drink from four small cups. And uh, this was a very common thing. 
that they would do this. They would bring, and the, and the, the four cups spoke of the, the, the promises of God to the nation of Israel. And you can read about that in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. It speaks of those cups. But let me tell you what those cups were. Because when we come to the New Testament and we hear that Jesus took a cup, he's taking one of those cups, one of the four small cups. So there's significance there. Everything that Jesus is doing is significant. The, 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 uh, the, the, uh, the unleavened bread, bitter herbs, the, <clears throat> the cup. And notice what he says. Uh, so the promises were this. Here, here were the four, four cups and the promises. The first cup spoke of the rescue from Egypt, right? Uh, the second cup spoke of the freedom from slavery. The third cup spoke of the redemption by God's divine power. And the fourth cup represented a renewed relationship with God. Those are the four cups. So the meal would begin, the Passover meal would begin around 7 o'clock at night. For some of you, that would have been a little late, right? You say, well, I would have been nice to tie myself over a little bit before we get to 7 o'clock. But <coughs> this went for quite a while. This meal usually would go from 7 o'clock almost to midnight. So it was a long in, in, you know, and stretched out time together. Uh, this may, by the way, and we'll look at this next weekend when we look at the garden. This may be why the disciples fell asleep in the garden. This was well after midnight when Jesus is in the garden praying. And they've already been, you know, <laughs> there. And you know what happens when you eat and after you eat, right? It's not to excuse them in any way, but it's just to show you the context of what's going on here. So during the meal, Jesus most likely used the word of used the words of Deuteronomy chapter 26 to bless the elements, the unleavened bread, the herbs, and the lamb, by explaining how they were symbolic reminders of the various aspects of the Israel's captivity and deliverance. So Jesus is reenacting the Passover, right? That's what he's doing. And so the communion meal basically becomes Jesus taking the Passover and he's going to redefine it. He's going to redefine it. So very, very important that we hear that. So now, after all this groundwork that we've looked at, and we've looked at the, the, the uh, captivity of the nation of Israel and how they, were, they had to leave quickly and how the unleavened bread came in and how the, 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 the lamb, the Passover lamb, you know, had to be slain and how the blood needed to be put over the doorpost and, and how they, they ate bitter herbs and, and the bitterness of Egypt and, and how they were to remember this on a regular basis. Every year they were to remember this Feast of Unleavened Bread or the Passover meal. Uh, this was a, just a, a part of this, a complete part. And knowing that Jesus had, had rode into Jerusalem under the cheers of the crowd and saying, Hosanna, you know, here's the king, right? And all of this is happening and the disciples are watching this. And then Jesus says this. This is Mark chapter 14, verse 22. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. And he broke it into pieces and he gave it to his disciples and say, saying, take it, for this is my body. And then he took the cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And they, he said to them, this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out like a sacrifice for many. I tell you the truth, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. 
Most people believe that the cup that Jesus is using here is the third cup. Now remember, the third cup, what was the third cup? It was redemption by God's power. And so Jesus is saying, it is poured out like a sacrifice for many. Because you read the Gospel accounts and you'll see he took a cup. Now he's taking another cup. What's going on? There's four cups. It's probably the third cup. What's going on here? Now what does it all mean? What does it all mean? Because we are going to take the bread and the cup in a moment. But what is the significance? So Jesus takes the bread, he breaks it, and he gives it to his disciples. And he says, this is my body. Jesus is saying, this is the bread of my affliction, the bread of my suffering. He's saying to them, I'm the ultimate Moses. I'm going to lead the ultimate exodus. I'm going to bring you the ultimate deliverance from the bondage of sin and death. I'm going to do that. Not Moses, me. Moses, look to my day. I'm fulfilling. Essentially what Jesus is saying is I'm fulfilling the Passover right here before your eyes. I am the bread. Then he takes the cup and he explains he's the lamb. He's the blood that will be spilled. He will become the substitutionary sacrifice. It won't be a a lamb that gives its life and sheds its blood. It will be me. I'm going to shed my blood. I'm going to become the lamb. Remember what John the Baptist said? Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And we have the whole sacrificial system that we haven't even talked about. And Jesus is saying, I'm the final sacrifice. I'm the ultimate sacrifice. I'm the last sacrifice. He's bringing a new covenant between God and us. The basis of this new covenant is Jesus' own blood. He says, my blood, uh, my blood of the covenant. My blood of the covenant. So during the Passover meal, the interesting thing is you read through the gospel accounts. So you you see a mention of the bread. You see a mention of the cups. But you you know what you don't see a mention of? There's no lamb. There's no lamb. The lamb was the centerpiece of the, of the meal. The lamb was the centerpiece. There's no lamb. There's no Passover lamb. Now, why not? Why wasn't there a Passover lamb? Simply because the Passover lamb was standing right before them. Jesus was the lamb. He was the fulfillment of the Passover. Uh, Isaiah 53 puts it like this. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly. Yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels so now when we take the meal when we take the bread we understand the significance of the bread that jesus became the bread when we we drink the cup we remember the lamb that had to be slain and the blood that had to be over the doorpost because when the when judgment came to egypt that night if you were not under the blood you if you were a firstborn you were dead And so what happened? Jesus, the firstborn, gave his life. 
And the Bible says if you're not under his blood, when judgment comes, you're dead. You see, in reality, all life change, all life changing love has to be sacrificial. When we say, I love you, that is meaningless unless we're willing to give, unless we're willing to serve, unless we're willing to take a loss somewhere. You'll never really love a guilty person. You'll never really love a hurting person except through substitutionary sacrifice by you. Somebody has to take the hit. Somebody has to pay the price. Somebody has to suffer. Somebody has to lose. Somebody must pay the price. That's the way it works. And what Jesus did when he climbed up on the cross is he said, I will be the sacrifice. I will take the hit. I will suffer the loss. I will pay the price. That's why the meal is so powerful. And that's why we need to be prepared when we take the meal. Because if we, do, if we, we, come, in, if we come into the meal and we have sin in our life or we, we, we treat it as just we downplay the significance of it, we miss the power of what's taking place and what Jesus was saying. By the way, Jesus says to us, and he said to his disciples, do this in memory of me. Do the meal in memory of me. A number of years ago, in National Geographic magazine, there was a story told of some forest rangers, and they were, they were um, going out up on a mountain where there had been a fire recently, and there was just... They finally got the fire out and they went up to the mountain to survey the damage that was done by the forest fire in Yellowstone National Park. And one ranger came across this charred bird. It it was uh, carbonized. It had a petrified shell. It was covered in ashes and um, huddled at the base of a tree. And and as the, the ranger looked at this dead, carbonized bird... It was kind of sickening, and he basically took a stick and he moved the bird aside. And when he did this, there were three little chicks that came chirping out from underneath the mother. The mother's wings had protected them from the heat of the fire. When the blaze had arrived, The mother had remained steadfast instead of running. Because she was willing to die, those under the cover of her wings lived. What Jesus did when he climbed up on a cross, and when he uttered those words, it is finished, what he was saying is, I will cover you. I will take your sins. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, shall be forgiven, shall find the forgiveness Jesus looked over Jerusalem and he said this one time as he looked down on Jerusalem. He said this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often I would have wanted to gather your your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings. But you wouldn't let me. You wouldn't let me. He did indeed gather Jerusalem's children. He gathered us under his wings. And he was consumed by the fire of judgment that was meant for us. 
So the question that we want to pose to you as we approach the communion table is this. Are you under his wings? What do I mean by that? What are you trusting in? Who are you trusting? Is your trust in your record, your abilities, your goodness, your membership of a church? What we need to understand is unless we're under the blood, unless we're under his wings, we're dead. Because judgment is coming. It's not a matter of if, it's when. Are you trying to save yourself from the flames? Because you can't. You're as helpless as those chicks. The communion meal that we're about to eat remembers the one who took the flames, who gave his life, and who was consumed so we could live. His costly, sacrificial love saved us and set us free from sin and death. So where are you? As we think about the table, and as we understand how he fulfilled the table, and he became the ultimate Moses, became the ultimate lamb, became the ultimate savior. And he says to us, when you come to the meal, remember the significance of the meal. Remember what, what, who I am and where you are. And, and as we approach the meal that way, I think we'll find a new significance as we read the words. But that's what took place when Jesus and his disciples sat down at the table that night to celebrate the Passover meal. What Jesus was saying is, before your eyes, this is being fulfilled. And he tells future followers, that's you and me, remember me. Remember me as you eat this bread and drink this cup. Remember the significance, because as we remember the significance of the table, we understand who we are in this world and in this universe. We find our our meaning and purpose in him. Let me pray. Father, we are not worthy. If it was about being worthy, none of us would stand. But you gave your life gave your son Jesus and Jesus gave his life so that we could live. He took the flames of judgment so that we could be safe and saved. We don't deserve it. We can never earn it. It is a gift that's given to us. Thank you, Father, for Jesus who willingly, willingly became the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So, Father, as we eat the bread and drink the cup, may we remember the sacrifice where Jesus gave himself in our place, took the punishment we deserved. May we not take it lightly, and may we be amazed and stunned by his sacrificial love for us. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.